This is Matt Hurt at Obsessive Viewer on Twitter. This is Tiny at Obsessive Tiny on Twitter. And this is ObsessiveViewer.com's The Obsessive Viewer Podcast. the latest episode of The Obsessive Viewer. We're a weekly movie and TV podcast that covers a specific topic, be a genre, trope, movie, or show, each episode. You can find back episodes at ovpodcast.com, find the blog at obsessiveviewer.com, and also subscribe to the subreddit at r slash obsessiveviewer. Um, before we get started on this episode, I just want to point out that uh, I have a solo side project podcast called Anthology. You can find it at anthologypod.com. It's about classic uh, science fiction television. And also, if you're in the Indianapolis area, we are hosting an event in October. Uh, it's called Shocktober in Irvington. It's going to be benefiting local um, horror filmmakers. We're going to screen short horror films, uh, have Q&As with the, with the filmmakers, giveaways, raffles, all that stuff. Uh, you can find more information at shocktoberinirvington.com. So, Tiny, how's it going? Pretty good, pretty good. Actually, I wanted to plug the secular perspective because oh, nice. Chad and I recorded a couple episodes, uh, nice. and we may get back into secular Bible study. Oh, nice! Which I've been putting off for a while. So yeah, yeah. Ch- go check that out. We've we've done a couple episodes. Sweet, and that is at thesecularperspective.com. Yes, it is. Awesome, awesome, man. So uh, today, Tiny, what are we talking about? We're talking about our favorite sitcom moments. Yes, we're. Uh, I mean, openly huge fans of sitcoms. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, we've yeah. talked about many of them. We've had two. Have we had two sitcom episodes? We. <laughs> I feel like we have. Oh, wow. We have. We've had two two sitcom episodes, and it was it was conceived as a trilogy. Yeah. And we never we never finished it, <laughs> uh, ever. Um, yeah. Yeah. I remember that was one of the first episodes that uh, Mike was on, was, was one of the sitcoms episodes, and right. all that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh god, and we had that horrible tag where I tried to make a, a I I forced you to record an awkward uh um Avengers plug style. Oh my god. Yeah, yeah it was awful. One. Yeah. Anyway. It wasn't awful. No, it was There was some solid production behind it. I I added footsteps. <laughs> Sound effects. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So stupid. Yeah. We were so young. So so young. Uh <laughs> anyway, so before we get into our favorite sitcom moments, because we each have a few a few uh, choice moments from sitcoms past uh, to go over one by one, but I thought that it would be appropriate to kind of discuss what exactly we mean by a great sitcom moment. I mean, anything from it could be really anything from from my from my personal definition of this. Like a sitcom is is a small chunk of of television, obviously, but it could contain so many different types of memorable moments how how did you pick which moments like like what was your criteria for picking your moments in this episode tiny uh for me it was really just about how memorable it was uh you know when you said favorite sitcom moments i just thought of like my my three or four like favorite sitcoms and then just like what is the most what's the first scene i think of like what's the first thing and that's kind of that's kind of what I have. I mean, that's nice. I I, I kind of feel bad because I'm I'm a major proponent of Wings, mm-hmm. but I don't have a Wings entry. Um, in my defense, I haven't watched that show very much lately. Um, it's funny. I've watched a lot of it re- lately, so maybe I'll I'll throw one in here at the end. Okay. But yeah, it's you know, it's just it's the stuff that's the most memorable mm-hmm. to me. Um, and, and really, this this could be like 
I could have like 15 entries for this, no problem. Oh, yeah. Me I mean, too. it's just, it's sitcom stands for situational comedy. So it's like, you know, you, you the, these characters put themselves in a different situation every episode. And, you know, it's, it's like there's, there's a little contained story within each episode. So it's like you just have, you have so much to choose from. Mm-hmm. A lot of these sitcoms run for, you know, eight, nine, ten seasons. And so there's just, there's just so much to draw from that it's, it's hard to pick one. Um, but it's just such a rich environment for memorable moments. It's, uh, it's hard to narrow down. Absolutely. I agree. And what I picked from my criteria or in my criteria for picking moments for this episode, I, I kind of went through a couple different kind of things. Like there, there's, uh, there's a good, there's a good emphasis in my brain of well-constructed gags and well-constructed jokes that, that set up something early and pay it off in the end. And, and just a well-crafted joke can go just so far in a sitcom. And when it's done right, it's done just spectacularly well. And then on the other hand, I also picked some more, uh, or at least, at least one, uh, more emotionally resonant, uh, or, or, or uh, emotionally resonating kind of sequence because part of the thing that I one of my one of the reasons I'm a big proponent uh, a big proponent for the sitcom genre is that through a half hour a week we get into we get a peek into the lives of, of people that are that are written and designed from a conceptual level to be um, relatable and friendly and and funny and and fun to watch and you kind of I feel like in this in this particular genre of television, you get more of an emotional attachment to their lives and their stories than almost any other character because the the flip side of that is you have serialized television, you have dramas and hour-long dramas, workplace dramas, all that's uh, different kinds of uh, shows that are that are dense with with story and and emphasis on on you know trying to thrill you or 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 draw an emotional pull from you and everything. But sitcoms by by their very nature are are situated to to where you they're trying to make you laugh for half an hour. <laughs> and I think that the the flip side of that or the 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 uh what comes from that is this bond that you have with uh these worlds that the characters or the characters that inhabit these their little tiny worlds um that is almost unmatched in television for me at least. Word. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um so Without further ado, why don't we just go ahead and get this kicked off? Let's uh, do it. Do you want me to get started? Sure. Okay, so uh, my first one is going to be from The Office, the uh, the U.S. version of The Office. And, you know, I, I, I went through some of the seasons and I, and I wanted to pick certain ones from certain, from certain episodes, from certain seasons. But the one that I ultimately, ultimately landed on was, I think this was uh season five or maybe season, I think it was season five. Um, I almost said the name of the, the joke, but, uh, customer survey, I think it was season five, episode seven. Um, if I, if I'm mistaken, I've, uh, I apologize. But in this episode, the episode overall is just a very solid episode. It's got Jim and Pam. Pam is on, um, she's, she's doing her, uh, her graphic design stuff in New York. So she and Jim are kind of dealing with this, this long distance thing. And this is the episode where, where they have the micro, microscopic or the very small, uh, Bluetooth in their, in their ears, which breeds tons of just really, really hilarious gags for me, especially with, uh, Jim, 
<laughs> Jim's going into Michael's office to get uh, feedback on the on the customer survey that they got in, and <laughs> and he he just says to Pam, uh, "Wish me luck." And then Dwight's sitting there and he doesn't say anything. And then he's she's like, uh, she's like, "Good luck" in his ear. And then he's like, "Thank you." And then Dwight's like, "What? I didn't say anything." And then she says, "I love you." And Jim's like, "Oh, I love you too." <laughs> and Dwight's yeah. like, I, "I'm not saying. What do you think I'm saying to you?" <laughs> but, so just really. Uh, uh, really good, like, like just gold level comedy from Jim and Jim and uh, Dwight in this episode particularly. But the part that stands out is the the part that kind of defines their their relationship in the show itself, and also uh, also a little bit of Michael there. There's a three way uh, scene in which Michael is trying to determine why uh, or trying to kind of. Uh, teach Jim and Dwight their how to how to uh, improve their customer service. So he sets up this whole scenario in the conference room where it's a, it's a fake phone call that uh Dwight and and Jim have. And uh in it I, I might actually rip it and and put put the audio here. But... I'm sorry Mr. Butler. As I was saying, we're having a limited a little bit louder i'm hard of hearing sorry if he's an old man okay as i was saying right now yeah, we are yeah, having talk louder okay our prices have never been lower son, you have to talk louder never been lower louder I... son butlicker our prices have never been lower and it is perhaps the hardest i've ever laughed in this entire series <laughs> that is so funny it's it is it is so so hilarious to me and i feel like it just perfectly sums up um Dwight and Jim and Michael like that the the trinity of comedy in in this series that is uh is really you know I I haven't seen a trio in a comedy as well I don't know it 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 really suited the show spectacularly well mm-hmm. and uh in that scene particularly um I do I do want to mention um, do you do you have any input on this scene or anything? yeah I couldn't I couldn't I can't remember it all that well I haven't watched The Office in a while mm-hmm. but uh, as soon as you said Butlicker I was like I remember Dwight screaming Butlicker <laughs> so but I just couldn't remember the context mm-hmm. yeah it's I love The Office yeah so so that's my first pick Tiny what's uh, what's yours uh, my first one um, I just call it you just got slapped. <laughs> Uh, I would sing it for you, but I'm not, I'm no Marshall Erickson. Right. Uh, it is from How I Met Your Mother. It's season three, episode nine, Slapsgiving. Um, <laughs> this is my favorite episode of this show. Really? Uh, which, oh yeah, which has, uh, you know, a, it's become a bit disreputable to mention How I Met Your Mother mm-hmm. on this podcast, especially, but even in the, the world. Right. Uh, because it's, it's, it's <laughs> reputation was, irreparably tarnished by the by the finale mm-hmm. um but you know let's enjoy the journey here <laughs> uh slapsgiving if you remember is where uh marshall made a slap bet with barney um and it was for five slaps uh to be doled out at any time and uh slapsgiving is where he's going to dole out the second one or third one maybe uh, i can't remember I don't know, but he, he, it ends with, or, or there's an episode earlier in the season that ends with, um, Marshall sending a link to Barney and it's just a clock and it's counting down days, hours, minutes, and seconds. And, uh, I think it's, I can't remember, I think it's called slapbetcountdown.com 
or something like that. Uh, yeah, I think it's just slapcountdown.com. Slapcountdown.com. And so uh, what it is, it's counting down to an hour that will end during Thanksgiving. And uh, Marshall titles it Slapsgiving. And so the actual episode takes place on Thanksgiving, and they're having it at uh, Ted and Marshall's uh, um, apartment. And Lily and, Lily and Marshall are hosting Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. They're being the actual hosts, but it's at Ted and Marshall's apartment. Um, and it's, it's a big deal because Ted and Robin had, uh, had slept together to yeah. at, at a pie baking. Like they, they broke up and everything was awkward and they ended up, they, they were supposed to get together at Robin's place to make pies for Thanksgiving. And Ted and Robin were the only ones who showed up and they ended up sleeping together. So, uh, and, uh, the- <laughs> Do uh, I? Can't, I think this is, might be a, a different reference to a different episode, but um, they they were about due for a backslide or just doing it normally. Um, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I think that was a Barney and Robin thing. Anyway, go ahead. Yes. So there's tension there for that, and uh, there's some other things going on in the episode. But the best part is that throughout the episode, uh, Marshall keeps taunting Barney with with puns. Uh, my favorite is where he. He brings out a tray of like stuffed mushrooms and he's like, Oh look, slapatizers. <laughs> and he just keeps rubbing it in and rubbing it in and things blow up and Lily gets mad as a slap bet commissioner. She says there will be no slap given that day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then of course at the very conclusion of the episode, um, everyone's happy and things are better and, and, uh, Barney's being annoying. He's taunting Marshall <laughs> and she's like, well, okay, you can go ahead and slap him. And Marshall just unloads on him <laughs> so hard and then sits down at the piano and plays the slap. You just got slapped song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that part right there, that moment is my favorite part. Uh, just the song he sings is like, yeah, just got slapped. And then Barney like accompanies him. Yes. It's so stupid. His wailing of pain yeah. is, is just perfect. It's so funny. I just, I love that when he sings that song, it's hilarious. That is one of my favorite moments from the whole series without question. Nice. Yeah. It, uh, <laughs> there's one thing that you, that you didn't mention in this is that the second that she says that, uh, Lily says, yeah, okay, you can slap him. The look of pure joy <laughs> on Jason Siegel's face, on Marshall's face, <laughs> like as a reaction to that is so deranging. It looks so deranged, but so happy. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's just, it's hilarious. Yes. I love that scene. Yeah. So much. Yeah. Um plenty of good moments to choose from in that series. Oh yeah. Oh but, totally. Uh, um That's one of mine. Nice. Was that your way of throwing it to me? Yeah. Okay. Speaking of moments in that series oh. which we can uh, discuss. <laughs> um you know this was this moment that I'm about to bring up is I don't remember what season or episode. I think it's season eight, um kind of later episode, or it might be season seven, because I think season eight's has, uh, uh, anyway, um, yeah, it's season eight, but anyway, uh, the episode is the time travelers and this is the pick on the, for this episode, for this topic that I picked this specifically for the way that it just resonated with me as a viewer on an emotional level, uh, having followed Ted's journey and the gang's journey throughout eight seasons at that point and what the time travelers does and this is a slight spoiler for this episode but um is it really takes a uh 
a fun, goofy premise. Like uh, it's it's kind of a weird episode in its own right because the entire premise of the episode is that uh, uh, Ted is in the bar and Barney comes to visit him, and then suddenly Barney introduces him to future Barney from uh, I think like uh, twenty years in the future or twenty minutes in the future, something like that. And then there's this whole this whole goofy thing throughout the entire rest of the episode where um, Barney and 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 Ted keep getting visited by versions of themselves from the future and from, and from different varying points of the future. There's a whole thing about how, um, uh, uh, Ted wants to go, or I think, uh, so Ted wants to go to, I'm, I wish I would rewatch this episode before we recorded, but anyway, um, Ted wants to go to robots versus wrestlers, but, uh, I think Barney wants to go to robots versus wrestlers. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, there's a whole discussion over robots versus wrestlers and, uh, the plans for the night and Barney's trying to convince Ted to go. So there's a lot of moving parts of this episode, but it's, it's all, it's all, um, comedy. It's, it's all comedy. There's not much substance to it until the end of the episode where it's revealed that there is no, there is no, uh, no gang at the bar with Ted. Because Ted is just there alone, and there's this really like I'm getting chills just about like preparing to say it to say the line, but there's a line where uh, Ted realizes that it that he's there alone, and he's just kind of imagining this whole this whole thing, in which Barney, which is an apparition to him in front of him, he says, "Ted, this moment already is gone. The whole Minnesota tidal wave thing happened five years ago. It's just a memory." And the rest of this never happened. Right now, Marshall and Lily are upstairs trying to get Marvin to go back to sleep. Robin and I are trying to decide on a caterer. And you've been sitting here all night staring at a single ticket to robots versus wrestlers because the rest of us couldn't come out. Look around, Ted. You're all alone. And then that just, like, that just hits, just is such a gut punch of a realization that he's just imagining all this because his, his, the, his whole gang, the rest of his friends, they're all moving on. They're all, they all have important stuff to do. And he's kind of clinging to this past, um, the past habits of the, of the group instead of moving on. And, uh, one of the bigger, bigger points of it, I think it's before that realization is that he sees the Kochek girl from season one, I believe. Mm-hmm. And then he imagines an entire, um, conversation with her in which she's like, he, he imagines talking to her from like seven years in the future or something like that and how they, uh, how the, their relationships run their course and how it's kind of, you know, over and it didn't amount to anything. And then it's, it's just this really kind of heart wrenching scene where you kind of realize like Ted is the whole, the whole conceit of the show is that Ted is on his way to find, find the love of his love of his life. And this is at one of his, uh, one of his worst moments is where he's realizing that even if he goes to like, he's lost the, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking at? He's, he's lost the optimism and the, the hopeless romanticism that defined his character throughout most of the series, because he can't even bring himself to talk to this girl who he had chemistry with seven, seven or so years in, in the past. And then it all ends with uh, future Ted. And I'm, I know I'm just rambling and just explaining the episode, but I feel like this is all con- important context for why I picked it. But, um, it ends on what is perhaps my favorite, almost definitely my favorite moment of the entire series. Wow. In one of my favorite sitcom moments of all, of, of any kind. Mm-hmm. Hi. I'm Ted Mosby. And exactly 45 days from now, you and I are going to meet. And we're going to fall in love. 
and we're gonna get married and we're gonna have two kids and we're gonna love them and each other so much. All that is 45 days away. But I'm here now, I guess because I want those extra 45 days with you. I want each one of them. Like, and if I can't have them, I'll take the 45 seconds before your boyfriend shows up and punches me in the face. Because I love you. I'm always going to love you. Till the end of my days. Like, that's, that's the moment where you see... You see the character of Ted Mosby go through an emotionally uh, trying ordeal in which he is very much uh, lost his optimism and everything, only to see this this imaginary version of himself going back and speaking to to the person that would fix all of that in the in the future, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And it's just a really powerful scene, and I mean, Josh Radner just freaking nailed it. Um, it was just, it was, uh, it was such an emotionally amazing, uh, sequence in, 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 in the series and just really powerful. And I, I get teary. I just thinking of the, of that final thing, uh, that final bit in the episode. And it's just, and the music playing is just absolutely beautiful. And I know we've talked about this episode and, and we've talked about this moment in the past, but, um, I think it's important for a discussion of favorite sitcom moments is that this should go on there because it's still, regardless of how the show ended and how the show ended up, it still had an emotional punch for me. Um, yeah. And I just, I, I loved it. Nice. I don't really remember it. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, really? I mean, by this point in the series, I was a little checked out because it, wow. it, it had gone on too long, in my opinion, mm. and I was just ready for it to be over. I just really, I loved when the show did that, and and regardless of the ending, regardless of how I feel about the final season and, and all that, the fact remains that I don't think, I don't think a sitcom has reached me on an emotional level. Uh, throughout its run, as well as how much her mother did at its best. That's that's good. I agree with that. Good. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So that's enough about how much her mother and the time travelers <laughs> and all that. Uh, Tony, what's your next one? Uh, my next one is a classic from the show Friends. Uh, I will just say the line, and you all know. You'll all know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Oh, look at me. I'm Chandler. Could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> um, it is uh, season three, episode two. Uh, ironically, all of the ones I chose were from season three of their shows. Interesting. Yeah. So huh. season three, episode two, the one where no one's ready. And I know we've talked about this episode specifically before. In the bottle, bottle episodes. episodes. Yeah. yeah. Um, because it is a fantastic bottle episode um, and a fantastic episode in general. Um if you don't remember, uh, Ross uh, is being awarded a he's, – he's getting an award for uh, paleontology or something like that. And uh, it's like a nice black tie event. And he's invited all of his friends. And uh, he's dating Rachel still at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it all takes place exclusively inside Monica's apartment in the living room slash kitchen area. And uh, 
it's 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 where it's basically it all takes place in real time in 20 minutes it takes place like at or well it's you know, 30 minutes but it's or the runtime is exactly 20 minutes so mm. um it starts like right at like 8 30 p.m and they have to be at the thing by nine or they have to be out the door by nine or something like that i can't remember yeah, um, something like that. yeah and so it starts all, it sorry it starts at eight we can't be late we could not, would not want to wait. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, um, it's all about Ross trying to wrangle all his friends together, everyone together to to get to this event on time. And uh, Monica's all freaking out because she left a message on <laughs> on Richard's phone that she didn't intend to leave. Mm-hmm. And uh, Phoebe has a stain on her dress that she's trying to cover up. Rachel, it's the hummus. I got the hummus. Yeah. Rachel can't decide what to wear. And then uh, Joey and Chandler are fighting over the chair. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I can't remember all what all it entails, but uh, it includes um, the part where Joey goes and puts on every single piece of clothing that Chandler owns <laughs> and comes into the apartment. And he's like, fine, you steal my underwear. I'm stealing everything you own or all your clothes. <laughs> That's so not the opposite of taking your underwear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Of hiding your underwear, I think. But anyway. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, sure. He, at some point, he's like, I'm not sure I could wear anything else. Or maybe I could since I'm going commando. No, he said, uh, he, uh, yeah, yeah. He said, um, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, yeah. Cause he, cause what the thing was, was Chandler had taken all of his underwear and hidden it cause he, yeah. uh, as restitution for taking his seat. And, uh, and then when he comes back with all the clothes on, uh, <laughs> Joey says, um, uh, if I wasn't going commando, and then he says something like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like I could do some lunges, lunges and he starts yeah. doing lunges. Yeah. And the way Chandler reacts, he's like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that moment where he's like, could I be wearing any more clothes? <laughs> That's just a classic. I mean, I, oh, I'm sure so everyone great. knows that moment. Oh yeah. If you've seen oh, yeah. 10 episodes of friends, you've probably seen that one. Um, and it's just so funny. Absolutely. And the, uh, I know that Mike, Mike, uh, our co-host who is on sabbatical from the podcast, he, uh, celebrates this as one of his favorite episodes of the entire series. And you can hear me and him talk about it in our bonus friends retrospective podcast, which is episode 88 of obsessive viewer. And also in the bottle episodes episode, he, he talks about it at length. So good pick. I, I could not be more, uh, impressed with this episode in the series I, yeah i can i i thought halfway through that i thought i was anyway yeah it's the first sitcom moment i thought of nice and then the second one was probably slaps giving nice so very nice strong strong picks yeesh my next pick and this might be my last one um is uh from you know okay the last few weeks on this podcast i've been talking up uh seinfeld which i've been watching on hulu plus they have all of the the entire series on on hulu now mm-hmm. and there are i just i just finished season four and there are so many already in the in the run so many iconic scenes iconic moments um incredible just setups and deliveries of of jokes and and just incre- impeccable, impeccable uh, sitcom writing in the series. And the one that I want to single out, since I've I've talked I've talked ad nauseum about several other points that I've seen so far, but um, the one that I want to point out is from Seinfeld uh, season four episodes. I don't remember the episode number, but it's from the episode "The Contest." 
Tiny, do you remember the contest? Uh, no, I don't. I haven't watched much Seinfeld. Okay. So this is perhaps one of the most iconic episodes of the, of the show from, from my perspective. And, uh, it's the one in which the, uh, the four, the four main characters, George, Elaine, uh, Jerry and Kramer make a bet to see who can go the longest without, uh, masturbating. Ah. <laughs> and it's, it's hysterical. It's, it's one of the finest, one of the ti- most tightly written and finest half hours of comedy I've seen on television. It's, it starts with, uh, with George, <laughs> uh, George lamenting the fact that his mother walked in on him while he was <laughs> doing that to a glamour magazine. <laughs> and then that eventually sprawls into this, this bet to see how long they, uh, how long they can last without, without, uh, you know, doing that <laughs> while being masters of their domain. <laughs> And the point that the moment that I want to single out, there's, there's so many moments in this episode that I, that are worthy of this, of this, uh, discussion. But the one that I want to single out is, um, it's set up so well after, <laughs> after, uh, after George's mother catches him, she falls and she is taken to the hospital and she is, uh, laid up in the hospital basically. So he goes to visit her. And the, it's set up, it's set up that she's, you know, she's a nagging mother who's, who's very, very vocal and very, uh, disappointed in her son <laughs> and saying that she need, that he needs to see a psychiatrist <laughs> for, <laughs> for his problem. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then <laughs> also it's worth mentioning that one of, one of uh, the things is that she, uh, he said that she's, that she asked how he could do that. And he said, Cause it's there. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so he's at the hospital with his mother and she's laid up. She's, she's upset or she's, you know, agitated and everything. And then he realizes that the, that the, that the woman in the room next, like in the same room, but, uh, from a, from a white sheet dividing them, a curtain dividing them mm-hmm. is an attractive woman. And so at six thirty, uh, the nurse comes in and says, it's time for your sponge bath. And, uh, George watches in, in pain as, or in, uh, discomfort and interest, uh, <laughs> as the silhouettes of the two, um, attractive women start bathing each other. <laughs> and so then the, the moment that I want to single out, the, the single moment that I want to single out for this episode, for this discussion, worthy of being one of my favorite sitcom moments for this podcast is the second scene in which he is at the hospital with, with, uh, his, his mother. Mm-hmm. And I may rip the audio and put it in here too, but basically he goes, he, he rushes into the room at 625. He sits down. He barely acknowledges his mother and she's, and he's like, well, he's just happy that he's about to see, yeah. that he's about to experience this glee of, of seeing this, these, this attractive woman, um, um, or hear this attractive woman wash this other attractive woman. Yeah. Maybe you could run down to the deli and get me a sandwich. You got it, man. A little later. Could you go now, Georgie? I'm very hungry. I'm weak. Well, wait a little while, Ma. Watch the difference. I don't understand why you can't do this for me. I just got here, Ma. I'd like to spend a little time with you. But if you wait, they won't let you back in. Visiting hours are almost over. Ten minutes. Here, here. Have some Tic Tacs. 
there. I'm sorry you came. 6.30, time for your bath. George, I'm hungry. Hang on, uh, hang on. <laughs> and juxtaposed with George trying to be a pervert and watch this watch this uh, scenario unfold yeah. is just it's so perfectly timed and perfectly comedic it's it's hysterical <laughs> oh my god oh it's so funny and and the added uh the added bonus to that is that later in the season the uh the episode the outing is one in which, uh, <laughs> through a mix-up, a, uh, a reporter mistakes George and Jerry as being a gay couple <laughs> and outs them. <laughs> so the entire episode is George and Jerry trying to reverse that and, uh, re- reverse that, that, uh, or to correct that, you know, um, outing, basically. And so George's mother ends up in the hospital again, same exact scenario, same, or same exact, uh, setting and everything. And then he goes, he goes to visit her, sits down in the same seat. Everything is, everything is the same as in, as in the contest. And then, uh, the, the entire, the entire episode, he's, he's, you know, he's struggling with, uh, people thinking that he's gay. <laughs> and that a male nurse walks in. <laughs> With a bucket and stuff, and says to a man that's in the next bed, saying, "Hey, Scott, it's time for your sponge bath." <laughs> oh my god! And it is it is the discomfort on on Jason Alexander's face, and just the fact that they played that they that they called back to this to this hilarious moment in the same season, <laughs> in the in a different context that is just as funny. Makes it just absolutely astounding to me. Yeah, and it's it's phenomenal. Um, That's hilarious. Yeah, I and I, I'm excited to watch more of it. And I, I'm so like I was thinking about this the other day. Like when I watch a show for the first time, like you know, I try to I try to soak in all the all the all the jokes, all the all the whatever, all the content of it. Mm-hmm. And then then later on, I might revisit it and everything. And like this is one of the first times in in a long time where I've thought. I'm, I want to rewatch this show. Like I already, I'm going to go back and revisit <laughs> these moments in this, in this series. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's such, it's such a, such a great show. Great show. Nice. I need to watch it. Yeah. I agree. And Mike, if you're listening, I'm sorry. It took me a decade. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, for our listeners and our pod chat, I told him, uh, <laughs> I told Mike, that my god like my god so much of of seinfeld is so tightly written and so so genius and everything and he's like i told you this a decade ago <laughs> so yeah that's funny yep uh so tiny why don't you uh round us out for our main topic for the episode i'd love to nice. uh this one is from it's always sunny in philadelphia Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from season three, episode four, which is titled "The Gang Gets Held Hostage." Um, this this is a show that I've I've abandoned, but I mean, there's no there's no other way to put it. I abandoned the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just I didn't think it was all that funny anymore. Um, simple as that. I th- I think it became too much about how despicable the characters are instead of like genuinely funny moments. I don't know. I just I. I decided to stop watching the show a few years ago and I don't really regret it, but, uh, the first, I mean, probably three or four seasons of this show were just top notch. Some of the best comedy on television. Um, and maybe it's gotten better. I don't know, but, uh, 
what, what this is probably my favorite episode of the show that I've, that I've seen, um, in it, uh, the, the, much maligned uh, McPoyle brothers break into the bar. At, well, they they show up in the bar and basically hold uh, hold all of the gang hostage, uh, as the title suggests. And mm. uh, it's just it's just an absolutely hilarious scenario. Um, they also bring along the McPoyles bring along their uh, their sister. Is she their sister or I, their cousin? I want to say sister. I haven't seen this episode in a long time either. I think she's their cousin, but she's like she's a deaf mute <laughs> and and so she doesn't say anything but just the way she emotes throughout the season or throughout the episode is just hilarious and gross and funny um but i think my favorite part is when uh is when mac and charlie go into the bathroom uh and the the sister accompanies them <laughs> and they they go in there and the reason they ask for her to accompany them is because they're going to try to scheme and get away or something and and they know they'll be able to do it because she can't hear them mm-hmm. and so <laughs> charlie charlie just decides to play a practical joke in the middle of it and uh and he's like they're looking for a map a, a map of the air ducts to get out of the the bar and uh and charlie's like oh i have the map he's like it's like i have a better map and and charlie's like well where is it he's like it's in my butt <laughs> and he's like what it's in your butt he's like yeah it's in there you have to look and basically That's he right. gets he gets a mac oh my god he's kind of like bent over and he gets mac to get behind him and look in his butt <laughs> and, and charlie's just like what do you see and he's like nothing and then charlie's just like what do you smell and then farts in his face <laughs> and this deaf mute girl is watching it the whole time you just have to wonder what the hell she's thinking like what are they possibly doing uh and it's just i don't know that's the the whole i'm not doing that justice but that that whole scenario is just <laughs> ridiculous what i love what i love most about that scene in particular that i i completely forgot about until you until you mentioned it was <laughs> the way that charlie says like he's like no it's not it's not in my butt stupid <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's such that whole episode is just rife with amazing moments yeah um they keep referencing stockholm syndrome and uh there's the whole die hard reference and yeah. that's I right because uh uh frank is in the is in the he's air in the ducks. air ducks yeah. the whole time yeah <laughs> it's that episode is fantastic mm-hmm. um amongst many other fantastic episodes uh i wonder if how far in the show have you watched proper like in i think i got to like the fifth end of the fourth maybe fifth season okay i think i watched maybe up until the sixth season or something yeah and i mean i don't know if it's i don't know if it i don't know if it has dipped in quality or if, or if that's a common thing or not but i remember there being some uh very strong moments in in later seasons that i saw like there was um <laughs> i don't remember the context or anything but um d and d and uh, uh mac are talking to a woman who is i think uh who's inviting something a woman who says something about how um tells them that yeah one of my one of my ex-boyfriends put put a video of us on one of those one of those disgusting ex-girlfriend sites and max like oh no he didn't no that's horrible what website <laughs> <laughs> and he's or i think she said online and he said what website and she's like 
<laughs> and she's like, oh, one of those whole disgusting ex, ex-girlfriend websites. And then he's like, whoa, man. Yeah, that's disgusting. There's so many. Which one specifically? It's <laughs> 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 just the, the way that, that that goes is just so funny to me. But Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. So I, I, I've been meaning to go back and and watch it all the way through. I think maybe once I finish Seinfeld, maybe that'll be my my project to go onto mm. that. Because I feel like It's Always Sunny is kind of a not necessarily spirited successor to Seinfeld, but it's it kind of plays with the the same kind of same kind of uh, dynamic between uh, it's a little rougher, but mm-hmm. a group of people that are uh, have their own unique uh, neuroses and uh, um, disposition toward the toward the world. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, does that close us out? That is it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, there was one episode or moment in Friends that I wanted to bring up, but I can't remember what it was. So, uh, yeah. Oh, well. Okay, so before we go on to our potpourri section, which is a section of the podcast where we talk about whatever we want, as long as it smells good, uh, I'm going to play this promo for Shocktober in Irvington, which, again, is October 16th at the Irving Theater here in Indianapolis in the Irvington District. Uh so, yeah, here's the promo. Join the Obsessive Viewer podcast on October 16th, 2015 at the Irving Theater in Indianapolis for The Obsessive Viewer Presents Shocktober in Irvington Part 2. It's a one-night event screening of short horror films from local artists J.P. Leck and Snapshot Productions. There will be giveaways, raffles, interviews with the filmmakers, and so much more. All proceeds will go directly to the Irvington Historical Society. Go to shocktoberinirvington.com for more details and prepare to be shocked. And thank you to JP Leck from Elsewhere World for providing that awesome promo. Um, once again, we're going to go to our potpourri section, which, uh, again, is uh, the section where we talk about things that we've seen, things we wanted to, want to see, things that we're looking forward to, anything like that. Anything we want, as long as it smells good. And uh, since I think I have a few more than you do, Tiny, is that is that correct? Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and go first, and then and then and then we'll go to you, and then circle back to me if that's cool. So I watched a movie on Netflix, and it's called Comet. It stars Justin Long and Emmy Rossum. Are you familiar with this movie at all, Tiny? I'm not. Okay. Well, to preface this, I am a an unabashed fan of. What I've heard referred to on like an old episode of Slash Filmcast, and I've heard referred to throughout um, throughout the internet as a uh, an adult relationship movie. Like, okay. yeah, it's 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 hard to explain. Like, um, it's it's a a, a dramatic movie that isn't a romantic comedy. But at its center is is about relationships. Um, think of like Five Hundred Days of Summer. Hmm. Annie Hall could probably be uh, factored into that. Um, uh, you know, maybe even like Take This Waltz and Blue Valentine. Okay, like movies where at their center, it's 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 about it, the focal point is is a relationship. Um, a romance. Um, wait, what? Like a romance? Yeah, romance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. I've heard really good things about the before trilogy, um, but I'll I'll talk about that on appropriate in the future. But um, mm-hmm. another one for that would be Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Okay. But anyway, movies about relationships and Comet is a movie about two people who 
their relationship spans six years. And it's told in some like vignettes and, and, uh, uh, nonlinear storytelling where it's basically bouncing around from, uh, the moment they met to them in a relationship to them having broken up to them reconnecting to them, uh, uh, meeting again, stuff, stuff like that. But it's the kind of big draw of it is that like one or more of these scenarios is kind of in a, is, is in a parallel universe or it's in a different universe. I see. Yeah, and that uh, sounds right up your alley. It right because <laughs> I, I love science fiction. I love uh, I love relationship movies. Mm-hmm. It seems like the perfect thing for me, and it's got a lot of good hype on on the internet. Um, the guys over at uh, Film Schlubs, uh, Film Schlubs, the podcast I was recently a guest on. Um, by the time you listen to this, it'll be a couple of weeks old. But I was on the I was a guest on that to talk about We Are Your Friends, and I also talked about Comet on there. But uh, they informed me that. The writer and director of Comet is uh, now engaged to Emmy Rossum, but he's also the creator of Mr. Robot, hmm. which is a show on, I think, USA that's that's getting a lot of really good buzz. Anyway, so my thoughts on Comet. <laughs> I really, I really could not get into this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was... Uh, it was such a shame because it had all the makings of a really strong kind of indie romance movie. Um, yeah. with some great sci-fi elements to it. But mm-hmm. I think that the part that really, where it really faltered for me was that I didn't buy into the relationship. Hmm. Um, from the outset, we're introduced to Justin Long as kind of this, kind of, uh, almost As- Aspergery kind of guy mm-hmm. who says a little bit too much about what he's thinking. He's a little too analytical in, in what he's saying and that's off-putting to a lot of people. And so the whole thing, the whole, the whole premise of their, of their meetup, of their meet cute is that she's on a date with a guy with a douchebag and they're at, uh, the Hollywood, um, uh, Hollywood nights or I don't know what, the, what the actual location is, but it's a, it's a cemetery where they, where they uh, believe they show movies and stuff, um, in, in LA. Mm-hmm. So they're there for a meteor shower or, or something. So the whole, it, it's weird because there's a lot of scenes of them talking, of Justin Long and Emmy Rossum talking. And Emmy Rossum is kind of, um, I don't know how to characterize her, but I, the, the, the short version of this is that I couldn't buy into the relationship because instead of having like chemistry and, and showing why these characters belong together, it was a borderline pretentious, just dialogue vomit of, um, again borderline pretentious uh statements about about uh the world and and their connect their the connection that th- they have i it's it's hard to explain it's it's hmm. i don't know I, I really struggled with it because it was it was it could have been so good it could have been mm-hmm. so good but so much like 90% of the dialogue was about them was about them commenting on the world and about, and about dating and about relationships and everything. But there was nothing, nothing for me to latch onto about them as a couple, like as an individual couple. Yeah. As, as like anything that drew me, drew me to, to like them. Like there's a scene where, uh, early in the movie where, uh, uh, Justin Long says that he's, that he doesn't believe in love and Emmy Rossum says something, some, says something back to him. And then a few scenes later, they're standing there. And then she says something 
witty to him. And then he says, I think I might fall in love with you. And it kind of, I don't know. I, I, I got the impression that it was going for like a good, a big punch, um, scene and, and it landed a little bit, but it was also like, it felt less like a character saying it and more of a character reciting it. Okay. Like, I think that's what I'm getting to. And I'm, I'm not putting this eloquently at all, but it felt like, it didn't feel, feel like authentic dialogue between two characters. It felt like, um, an agenda being pushed from a writer through characters. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, it's like, the writing doesn't influence the characters. It influences the theme that the, or the, the point yeah. that the writer trying to get across. Yeah. It, yeah. it fails the, uh, show don't tell. Yeah. There you screenwriting. go. Yeah. And it just, it, it was like, it feels like so much of the movie was, was this type of dialogue, like more, um, statements and, uh, um, commentary on, on what, like commentary on the nature of their relationship instead of showing us the nature of their relationship. Like it's yeah. very jarring going from their meet cute to their biggest fight to them being broken up, then back to their meet cute. And I don't mind the nonlinear thing. I mean, like I said, like 500 days of summer, it would probably be in my top 10 movies of all time, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's nonlinear and that's perfectly coherent and, and filled with chemistry between the characters and everything. You get the message without being hammered down by it. But with Comet, it just seems like they were going for that, but just it was <sighs> pompous, I, I guess is the word that I'd throw in at it. Okay. It was just, I don't know. And, the end, I won't say what the ending is, but the ending just kind of left me like, okay, yeah, I, sure, I guess. <laughs> I, I was just, it was disappointing. And I don't, if, if someone's listening and they, they're a fan of Comet, please tell me why people are loving it. Cause I, I'm not, I'm not a fan. Yeah. Yeah. So. Damn, that's too bad. Yeah. And I mean, the, the cast was great. I, I love Justin Long and, and Emmy Rossum, but. Yeah, that just was a disappointment. That's too bad. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So, so do you have something thrilling for Potpourri Tiny? <laughs> yeah, no, thrilling is not the <laughs> word. Um, I I watched a documentary called Damnation, um, and it's about dams, <laughs> which it, it reminds me of a part in the show. You're gonna love this, Matt. Um. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, where uh, where Leonard holds it against Penny that she gets to choose everything that they do, and he wants to decide what movie they get to see, so they go and see a documentary about dams, and it's <laughs> it's a joke in that show, but I actually wanted to watch a documentary about dams, and so uh, I, I feel like a huge dork. But um, how anyways. was it though? How was the damn documentary? You know, it was actually really good. Nice. <laughs> um, it, it it was it was it was good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what it basically did is it kind of stuck to this theme that um, there are there's some astronomical number of dams across the United States. I mean, there's like thirty thousand dams or something. Seriously, seriously, I had no idea. Maybe it's like eleven thousand, but it's like it's like five digits. Huh. It's insane how many dams there are in the United States, and so much man-made of, or beaver man-made. Okay, you're hilarious. <laughs> no, <laughs> um, thank you. Um, and so the theme is that a lot of these dams have outlived their purpose or they never had a quality purpose to begin with. And they're having a highly negative, 
uh, effect on the ecosystem that they exist in and uh, amongst other things, amongst other things, also the economy and stuff like that. Um, but the primary thesis that they kind of stuck to was that it, it disrupts how fish, primarily salmon, uh, navigate through nature and, and, and it, it, it disrupts their, their natural, uh, migration throughout a river system, throughout a, a watershed system. And, uh, and it, it's really, it's really disruptive and it's, it's, it damages the, basically makes the salmon population non-existent for a lot of these pretty important rivers and tributaries and stuff like that. And my problem with this documentary is that's, that's kind of their biggest thing. Like that's like hmm. the salmon can't swim through the dam. <laughs> Okay, that's bad. That sucks. I feel bad mm-hmm. for the salmon, and you know, it's they 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 work in this theme of how uh, so many Native American tribes, uh, the the that salmon fishing is like their bread and butter, and it's like a rite of passage, and it's it's how their tribes subsisted up in, up into the twentieth century, and the dam systems throughout a lot of particular the particularly the Pacific Northwest but also a lot of other areas around the country has has disrupted the the natural balance and the internal economy of all these Native American tribes um, so there is that but that's just not very many people <laughs> I mean I w- white people have screwed over Indians so bad um, I, I'm not trying to shy away from that at all and it's just another example of how um, you know they've they've taken their culture has taken a back seat to Western culture, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, that's a bad thing, but it's like, there's, you know, a couple hundred Indian people who are pissed off and then the, the, the fish can't swim. It's like, is that that big of a deal? Really? <laughs> I mean, that, if, if it was like seriously damaging the ecosystems, like of all these, uh, of all these, areas and if it was like screwing up the economy and uh it was a huge danger to the public because they're about to crumble and then people will Mm -hmm. die i i I would be more behind it but it's like there's you know they they, it ends it ends spoiler alert with them showing a, a couple of dams that were actually taken down and the rivers were allowed to flow again and you know it's like oh the the salmon population has like you know, quadrupled or it's gone up by like 2000% or whatever. And that's just in one season. It's like, okay, that's cool. And you know, it shows some people rafting down the river, but it's like, really? That's why you knocked down that dam. It's like, just so you could go swimming and the fish could screw each other. It's like, uh, it was hard for me to get behind that, mm-hmm. but I really appreciated all the information that was provided in it. Um, th- there's kind of a, uh, a, a, a big dam culture sort of, like in the like the post war up through the sixties, there were like like six or seven hundred dams built every year across the across the country. Um and it was for like hydroelectric a lot of it was for like hydroelectric and for farming purposes okay. and, and for domestication. You know, you you build up a water supply and kinda of build a city around it. Um okay. stuff like that. And that was all interesting, but ultimately I thought their thesis was a little weak mm-hmm. compared to some other documentaries that I think have very strong and very alarming causes, you know? Um, but I, I, I give the filmmakers a lot of credit because it was, they put a lot of great information in there that was very interesting to learn about. 
and they actually threw themselves into the controversy. They tried to, they attempted to navigate a river that's supposed to be open to sporting public, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of a poorly kept secret that it's really just, you're not, you're not able to take your, like if you want to go whitewater rafting or go on a canoe trip or something, they won't let you go through the lock system of this, this damned area. And like, they actually tried to go through it on a canoe. Wow. And they got stopped by the, the federal officers who work on the dam and they caught, they had kind of a gotcha moment where they kind of admitted that the dam is stupid and then it doesn't really serve any purpose. And hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's nothing shocking. You know, it's, it's no inconvenient truth. It's, right. it's no, uh, it's no gas land, it's but, no uh, citizen four, right. Nothing like yeah. that. But, uh, it's just, it's fun and it's not very long. It's like 80 minutes. So. It's on Netflix. Hmm. Yeah. Well, damn. Um, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> seriously, waiting the whole time for. To say I that. bet you were. I do have a question though. Does it at least? You said it's like eighty minutes or so. Does it at least like tell its tell its story in a, a coherent fashion? Oh is yeah. It, well, is yeah. it like? A, does the narrative flow well, or is it? God damn. Disrupted by uh, uh, obstacles. I did not. I just stumbled into that. I swear to God. I'm I, sure you did. I really didn't mean that. Oh. <laughs> but yes, it actually does. It's it's a very coherent narrative, and it's it's actually structured and put together very well. Nice. Yeah. Well, oh, that's something. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure none of you will watch it. Right. <laughs> um. Okay, so I'll, I'll go ahead and round us out for potpourri. Um. This is a movie. Um, that recently came out. I, uh, I, I was on, I was, uh, asked to, asked to do a guest spot on the Film Schlubs podcast, which you guys should check out at, uh, at Film Schlubs. Uh, I think it's filmschlubs.com. Sorry guys, I should have researched <laughs> that more, but it's on iTunes. Their Twitter handles at Film Schlubs. Uh, Brian and Dylan, they're great guys and I had a blast talking to them. But we, they had me on to review, uh, a new release movie starring Zach Efron. Uh, called We Are Your Friends. Are you familiar with this movie, Tiny? I saw the preview for it and remember nothing. Okay, well, let I me, thought it looked terrible. Let me take you on a journey here, buddy. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, to to preface this, We Are Your Friends uh, has the third uh, worst box office opening for a major studio release film. Of all time. Oh my God, really? I think so. And uh, uh, I can't remember the exact terminology, but it's something like it opened on tw- 2,000 screens and made... Ju- it It opened on 2,000 screens across the country and it made like the 12th or, th- or 13th spot on, on oh, at the box office. That's bad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it had its moments. It was, it was, you know, okay, the movie is about Zac Efron who is an aspiring DJ, um, specializing in like, uh, like, uh, electronic EDM music. Already a lot of douche in here. Yeah. <laughs> in the San Fernando Valley. More douche. And, uh, and it's, yeah, the whole, the whole thing is that him, him trying to, trying to become a DJ and, uh, coming under, uh, being under the wing of Wes Bentley's character, who is a, uh, a kind of, uh, renowned DJ or, or something. But he has, Zephron has, uh, has friends who he grew up with who are all just super douchey, <laughs> drug dealing, just, just really, just douchebags and a half, man. It was, 
Like it went out of its this movie went out of its way to not make them likable or relatable or anything like that. They were just <sighs> massive douchebags. So it had that that was a problem um um going into it, but um it, it in a supporting role is John Bernthal, who is a uh, a guy who uh, that subplot, man. It's uh he's a guy who ha- who uh makes some lucrative money in uh the more mortgage version of penny stocks from boiler room and wolf of wall street like that <laughs> that basic thing only they're negotiating mortgages or some something like that with uh yeah they're re re um refinancing refinancing mortgages and and for bank foreclosures and stuff like that but it's it's got a shady like under under undercurrent there and everything but that's a small part of the movie but for the most part i mean zach efron does fine um he's he has a uh forbidden Forbidden interest in in the uh, the assistant slash girlfriend of Wes Bentley, who he's who is his mentor, mm-hmm. and that's that adds some interesting plot elements and and some some tension and uh, the only the only um, inter character chemistry in the entire movie is between Zac Efron and um, Emily. I can't pronounce her last name, but she's uh, a Roger Kowski. Roger Kowski, yes. Yeah. Um, only in Gone Girl. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, was she the student? Yeah, she was the affair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I mean, uh, yeah, and she, she does a fine job. She, she does, she actually does a very fine job. Um, and there are a couple moments in this movie that I enjoyed quite a bit. It's, uh, there was, uh, I'll just say one in particular is when Zach Efron is, um, uh, he's DJing a party and he's talking to Emily Rajkowski's character. Don't know if I pronounced that right. <laughs> but um and it, she's it, she, they're kind of flirtatious and and he explains to her like his process for DJing and it's it goes into this kind of like kind of like hip um um like all right step 1 is you got to you got to have this track do this and this and this and then it goes step by step saying like uh the point of a DJ is to is not to get people to dance i think i think it's that uh she challenged him Either she challenged him or, or Wes Bentley challenged him to get people to dance. And it's, it's a party in the middle of the day by a pool. Everyone's standing around with drinks. No one wants to, no one wants to dance and everything. So he's like, yeah, I can get everyone to dance. So he's like, he's like, he's basically going beat by beat saying like, okay, at this point, you need to, the point of a DJ is to, uh, control the heart, the, uh, the heartbeat of, of people listening to the music. And, uh, and it says like, once you get into like this, uh, particular rhythm that's when you got him and all that and it's like it's this very stylish and yeah. I, you're giving me a look like this is the most douchebag thing ever and it is but um <laughs> but it's a way that it is and it's it's a great it's honestly a great entry point for people the audience because the audience mm-hmm. is is there to root for Zach Efron, who's trying to make it in this, in this very niche career field that no one's gonna know. Like, yeah. no one, like, people that are outside of, uh, that scene of EDM music and, and of, of DJing, stuff like that, like, they're not going to, they're not gonna have a way into the story that way. What this, what this particular scene does, very stylishly, I might add, while also developing the, um, uh, chemistry between, uh, uh, Zach Efron and, and, and Emily Rajkowski is, uh, is it just, it just show, it brings the, it brings the audience into this world. And I really appreciate it for that. 
and it was filmed very stylistically. It was very, uh, it had like different, um, different, uh, uh, shots constructed to show to, uh, to, to, that were paired with these like bullet points, basically like step one, step two, like on screen showing like, this is when you get the heartbeat here. And it showed like a, kind of a, the biometrics of, of the rhythm of, mm-hmm. of people dancing and everything. It was, it was very stylish and everything. Unfortunately, this movie has so many sequences of people partying and people, people, uh, have, uh doing illicit drugs and, and partying with that and everything. Mm-hmm. And, Every single scene involving those is the standard, generic, slow motion, uh, just run of the mill music video style um, filming, and it's to the point where the scene where he's DJing and demonstrating for for uh, for Emily Rajkowski, her name's Sophie in the movie. I should just say Sophie. There you go. Um, <laughs> where he's demonstrating for Sophie, and then also another scene where he's on PCP and and uh, uh, kind of very very stylishly. Um, pieces of the scene get animated and kind of overtake them as if like uh like a like a lava kind of thing like a trip kind of yeah yeah it's it's very very uh unique visually incorporating animation into it but those are the those are two isolated incident incident or isolated scenes in in the style of of the of the movie Mm -hmm. um everything else is just run-of-the-mill generic all that stuff the story is not anything the movie's titled we are your friends couldn't care less about any of the friends (laughs) and uh I got into an interesting conversation with the guys at Film Schlubs about this, and I won't give it anything away, but there's, there's emphasis put on, like, it's, it's presented as if it's an ensemble, but the only emphasis, the only character development we get is from Zach Efron, cause he's the lead. And then there is an in, there's a, uh, an incongruous amount of time spent developing one character. Mm-hmm. And that just signals to me that this, something's, that the story is going to go a certain way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it just, it really just like the, there was a scene, there was a, there was one scene where they introduced that, uh, introduced a depth to one of the characters. And I was like, okay, this is what's going to happen with that character. And this is how the rest of the movie is going to play out <laughs> as a result of that. And then that's how that's going to happen. Exactly. It was yeah, formulaic. It, yeah. It was, it was like season five of boardwalk empire for me. Um, <laughs> Damn, that's a bummer. Yeah. It was, it was just really, really not satisfying. And yeah, I know that there's uh, I haven't read any reviews about it. I keep meaning to write a review, but I haven't gotten around to it, but um, I haven't read any reviews, but I know that there's a, it's, it's, you know, being you know, trash and everything. And mm-hmm. I would, I would say that there was not much about this movie that I really, could really latch onto or really care about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I doubt it will hurt the careers of, uh, Zephron or Emily Ratajkowski. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so either. Yeah. What else does she got going on? Uh, well, she showed her boobs and, in, in, uh, Gone Girl. Yeah, she did. And I, I think her, uh, that kind of set her on a path. <laughs> <laughs> I, st- you know, I still really want Zach Efron to, to have a good dramatic career. Oh, me too. I'm, I'm a fan. Yeah. Yeah. And he has, he has charisma, but I mean, man, this, and this movie was just really, uh, really, uh, eight mile-ish. Oh man. Yeah. Um, wow. And I mean, if I were to give it a, give it a, give it a, a brief summation to my review of We Are Your Friends on this episode, it was, uh, 
eight mile for EDM music. Okay. But I mean, that's I mean that might be oversimplifying it because there were some some things in it that I enjoyed. But yeah, it just wasn't for me. It was it was not. It was yeah. Bummer. Let's, yeah, listen to a more in depth review on uh, Film Schlubs. My appearance on that uh, podcast. Cool. Whew. All right. Yeah, I think that about does it for us. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to throw it to the pre-record outros as usual. Again, if if you're in central Indiana, come to Shocktober in Irvington. We're, oh, oh. Oh. I didn't announce my the, the, no. the news, did I? You did. Wow, okay. <laughs> so today, news broke today that we are we officially got permission to screen uh, What's Eating Dad, a uh, short film from Michael, Go- uh, Michael Goldberg. Um that I saw at Indie Film Fest. You could hear me, you can hear me talk about it on, uh, a previous episode of the podcast where I talked about Indie Film Fest that I can't remember the exact number. <laughs> but yeah, it was the episode, it was the extended potpourri after our Ant-Man episode, I believe. Okay. Um, so anyway, uh, yeah, I'm super excited because that, that short film was really, really good. And I think what we're going to do is we're going to do it as a, as a way to kick off the evening. So that'll be the first thing we show. And then we'll show the other short films and we'll have raffles, giveaways, all that stuff. It is going to be a blast, guys. Uh, please come. Fun. Oh yeah. Again, you can find links to all this information in the show notes and you can find a, uh, you can buy your tickets online. I think we're going to do, uh, $8 online. Or at the door, uh, but five dollars if you bring your ticket stub from the uh, uh, Irvington Ghost Tours, which yep. just announced their uh, schedule for the, for this year. So, yeah, so I'm super excited about that. I think we're going to. Uh, unfortunately, the director of uh, What's Eating Dad won't be able to be in attendance at it, but I think we're going to do a, uh, a podcast interview with him. Cool. Uh, in the lead up to it, so be on the lookout for that and. Uh, Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. Yep, thanks for listening. All right, we'll see you next week. Hey, Matt, what's, uh, what'd you want? It sounded pretty urgent. Um, I'm here, Tiny, to tell you about episode eight. What's in episode eight? It's the sitcom initiative. Thank you for listening to The Obsessive Viewer, presented by ObsessiveViewer.com. You can find more of our episodes at ovpodcast.com, and you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast app. The Obsessive Viewer's theme song is An Eclipse of Events and is provided by Loudlike from their EP Mistakes We Must Make. You can find that and more great music from them on iTunes and like their Facebook page at facebook.com slash loudlikemusic. Any and all feedback on the podcast is encouraged. You can email the hosts individually at matt, tiny, or mike at obsessiveviewer.com or send an email to the podcast in general at podcast at obsessiveviewer.com. Check out the Obsessive Viewer blog at obsessiveviewer.com where we post movie and TV reviews and the occasional editorial about the business of entertainment. You can also like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theobsessiveviewer and follow us on Twitter at obsessiveviewer, at obsessivetiny, and at IamMikeWhite. If you want more obsessive content in your life, check out our sister site, obsessivebooknerd.com, for book reviews, author spotlights, and a general celebration of reading. 
Finally, if you're philosophically curious, check out Tiny's side project podcast, The Secular Perspective, which explores the concepts of faith, religion, and existence from the perspective of secular hosts. You can find that at thesecularperspective.com and subscribe to the podcast on the podcatcher of your choice. Again, thank you so much for listening. We love you. Be excellent to each other.